Good evening. Wasn't that a wonderful time of fellowship and a wonderful meal and great example of um, serving each other and we we see that love in action and um, we're just so blessed uh, to be in a church where we see so much love for each other and we we see the the sharing of that love <clears throat> and the testimony that uh, to the world and and to each other so um, that's that's what we're going to be looking at and what we've been seeing it's just been a wonderful conference <clears throat> excuse the frog in my throat I hope that clears up uh, just those these four sessions that we've we've heard have just been such a blessing and uh, when I saw the lineup, and, and after, especially after last night hearing, I turned to my wife and I said, uh, this isn't fair, you know. <laughs> and she just laughed at me. You know? so, but it's, uh, it's the Lord's, uh, <clears throat> we're trusting that this, this is the Lord's words and uh, some great men of God who've commented that uh, we'll try to bring those, some of those thoughts to you. And uh, I think Neil picked me so that we can put that love in action with forbearance, uh, and uh, you can help me out and, uh, and say a few prayers as we go. It's been a long time since I've been in the uh, classroom, and there won't be a quiz, except now, kids, I am going to be addressing you all <clears throat> from time to time, so uh, there may be a quiz. Just, we'll just have to wait and see. Okay, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so gracious to us and so merciful to us, and we just are, we, we come before you and we, we ask that you grant us a humble spirit, that we, we acknowledge that you are everything to us, you are the source of all goodness and light, and anything in us that is good uh, comes from you. And uh, that we, we just ask that we, we learn to, to keep growing in our knowledge of, uh, of your spirit and, 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 and uh, what you would have us do to serve each other and how to put, those, um, put that love into action. Give us a greater love for each other um, and help us to, to find ways to be uh, always looking for opportunities that you have provided, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> if I'm getting feedback, I'll try not to breathe so heavily. Can you hear me okay in the back? Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. And this is God's word. Thank you. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, 
and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why should Christians demonstrate love for one another in tangible ways or ways that produce visible, tangible benefits? Well, perhaps the most obvious answers are, number one, God commands us to do so. And number two, if we are, have we been regenerated, God instills that regenerate heart that desires to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. Actively helping our brethren is an act of worship to God when done with right motives. <clears throat> uh, Jonathan Edwards said that uh, all good works are done to a good end. and uh, We have to have the right attitude to glorify him to imitate Christ, and to demonstrate our thankfulness to our Creator. And uh, if if you would, uh, Henry Johnson mentioned the benefits of reading the Catechism and also of the Confession. And if you'd take your uh, hymnal, the Trinity hymnal, and turn to page 857, this is a much uh, better summary than what I had written up here and uh, always go to those who who have done the hard work ahead of us and 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 made it easy for us chapter 16 of good works and if we look at sections 1 and 2 page 857 in the trendy hymn what are good works Good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word, and not such as, without the warrant thereof, are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. These good works, done in obedience to God's commandments, are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that, having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. Now notice that phrase, a true and lively faith. That's active, isn't it? We're looking at um, just a a quote from R.C. Sproul. Uh, He notedly said, In the New Testament, love is more a verb than a noun. It has more to do with acting than with feeling. The call to love is not so much a call to a certain state of feeling as it is to a quality of action. We're used to hearing empty words from authority figures and from professed friends and from others and we've trusted but we've learned that as the old saying goes the proof is in the pudding in other words talk is cheap actions are what matter to a large extent the same can be said with professions of love when God's word speaks of love for others we see how love is demonstrated through acts of devotion and sacrificial service the ultimate example, of course, being Christ, uh, cross, uh, death on the cross. He didn't merely declare his love for us. 
he proved it and showed it and demonstrated it for eternity by sacrificing himself and taking on our sins upon himself, our, our sin debt upon himself. So let's look at, uh, here's some things we, we'd like to look at, and we'll try to keep track of time. Somebody give me the, the hook if I start to run over. Uh, we're going to look at the command to love indeed, the attitude we should have, the hindrances to serving others and the steps that might overcome that, and the blessings to others and ourselves through our service. So first of all, the command to love indeed. Just a few verses just to, uh, you know, if we think this is an optional thing, you know, we, we are probably familiar, most of us, with the uh, NASA saying, and maybe it's from Apollo 13 or one of those movies, failure is not an option. Well, Christian service to others is also not an option. If, if we are truly redeemed and truly Christ's uh, children, then we will want to serve others. We will have that heart of service, and we will find ways that we can do that. So just a few verses. <clears throat> 1 John 3.18 Little children, let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Hebrews 13.16 And do not forget doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Galatians 6.10 so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Notice, while we have opportunity. Now, what could that mean? There's that lot, of, lot of meat there. Opportunity, God provides us with opportunities. We have the opportunities, don't we? We can't say, well, we'd, you know, I'd love to help people, but... You know, there's just nothing to do. I mean, everybody's good, and I, there's, nobody needs anything. I don't know of anything. Well, we know that's not true. All we have to do is look at the, the prayer chain and start opening those emails and reading those, as Patrick said. And it'll bring us to tears, and uh, that heart of compa compassion should well up in us and a desire to do whatever we can to relieve suffering. Also, while we have opportunity, now I can't do the things at now that I could do 30 years ago, just physically. I mean, I just don't have the energy or the strength. And, you know, we, we need to take advantage of the, the opportunities while we have that strength and while before the evil days are upon us. And instead of looking back and saying, I wish... Oh, how I wish I had helped people when I had the chance to do so, because I can't do that now. So let's not let that be said of us. Let's take advantage of those opportunities and take advantage of what God has provided with us, the resources. We may have resources now that we might not have 10 years from now. We might be able to help someone financially or help someone with, uh, you know, because we, we don't have with our job, the burden or the responsibilities, or maybe we're, we're retired. And there, there are different ways that we can look that God has provided circumstances that allow us to be helpful in different seasons. James 1.27 says, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, it kind of struck me the juxtaposition of those two ideas, you know, keeping oneself unstained by the world. I mean, there could be any number of commands for us to do and then followed by keep oneself unstained. But the command to visit widows and orphans, it seems that there's a connection there of giving us that, uh, that not just the attitude, but also the, uh, what we need to have in us to be unstained from the world, that service, and particularly toward those who are in distress. Likewise, we're commanded to show our love through our actions. If your Christian brother needs a ride somewhere, tell him how much you care won't get him to his workplace. If your Christian sister has a, an extra load of trials burdening her, kind words won't help her prepare a meal or wash her clothes. Now, th those are nice things. Those sentiments are good, but that's maybe not what they need. They may need some physical care. They may need to take a break from taking care of the kids and someone to, to watch the kids for the afternoon while they do something and just take a breather. To our young Christians here, kids, there you go. <laughs> your past, all those heads pop up. That's what we like to see. Now, your parents, they dearly love it when you send them cards and you express your love to them and hug them. I mean, that's wonderful and good, and God's pleased by that. But don't you think they would also be, feel appreciated if maybe you would set the table or take out the trash or maybe clean your room without being told to do so? If you would take the initiative? Oh, I know, I hear that. Yeah. Oh, ye of little faith. <clears throat> it can be done. And that's what we're here for. We're to exhort each other instead of just saying, ah, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's just not the way things work. Well, we're here to look for changes in ourselves. James 2.14 says, For what does it profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and a lack of daily food, and one of you says to, to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what does it profit? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Now James isn't saying we're saved by our works, heaven forbid. There's no social gospel in Scripture. <clears throat> There's only one gospel. Yet our works, our fruit, as we saw in the confession, are evidence of our salvation. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. If you're wondering, I mean, that's one of your, your assurances, one of your indications that you truly are converted, that you do love your brothers and sisters in Christ. He who does not love abides in death. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? Abides in death. If you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and how do we know that we love our brothers and sisters? How do we know we love our family members? I mean, we're a family, aren't we? We're our church family. We're probably much closer than many of our blood relatives. And uh, 
we know that there, <clears throat> there's a friend closer than a brother, the, the scripture tells us. So if we love our own earthly family and would help them out when they need it, how much more so should we love the brethren here and we share the eternal life? Uh, James uses the example of responding to the physical needs of the brethren to demonstrate a faith which leads to obedience. By the way, who are our brethren? Is it just the people in these walls or the people? Well, we have people far away as Chicago who are with us today, tonight. They're, they're our brethren too, aren't they? We're all, all of those who share a love for Christ and who have confessed our 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 need for him, and our sole dependence upon Christ, then we're all brothers and sisters. And so oftentimes, as deacons, sometimes we get, and, and sometimes it's sent out to the whole church, we may, be, we may learn of situations um, from other churches, uh, maybe sometimes across the world, uh, where there's a need for some of our brethren, whether it's financial, whether it's prayer, whether it's some other type of assistance. And we don't say, oh, well, we'd love to help them, but they're not in our local church, so we, there's nothing we can do. Well, of course not. They're our brothers and sisters too. So we have to remember that we're not just talking to those, about those whom we have daily contact with or weekly contact with. We're talking about the, the body universal. Now, let's talk a little bit about the attitude. I know we're not getting it. I could just pass out a whole long list of things we can do and we all go home and I'm on greeter duty in the morning, so I'm going to get you out of here on time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we could brainstorm and have a big whiteboard up here and write down all the different things we can do. And that's all good. There might be some things that we would think, and I, hopefully you're going to hear some things that might be something that you might consider say, I hadn't thought about that uh, as we go through this. But if we don't do it with the right attitude, it really, God doesn't regard it as a good work. So we, we know we have to show our love for fellow believers. Do, does our attitude matter? Kids, Eric, thank you. Do your parents expect you to obey without grumbling? Sure they do. I mean, you say, well, I'll grumble anyway. But, but uh, <clears throat> they expect you to obey without grumbling. And that's because that, that's, we are commanded to obey our parents, to respect and honor our parents. And that includes doing what they, whatever they ask us to do in the Lord and, and do it faithfully and do it without, uh, and, and try to be cheerful about it. You know, and say, I'm glad to do it. Uh, it's going to take some work, isn't it? I can't say that I did that growing up very often, but uh, it's something that uh, I don't look back proudly upon the times I didn't do it. But <clears throat> the attitude really does matter. What's God say about our attitudes when obeying his command to love our brothers and sisters? 1 Peter 1.22, Since you have an obedience to truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Now notice the sincere and fervently used to describe the heart condition. Not just a lip service, 
not just doing it out of a sense of obligation. Well, I'm supposed to do this. I really don't. It's not something that I really want to do, but got to do it. Bible says I have to do it. Preacher says I have to do it. I guess I have to do it. That's not the attitude God wants. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 1 Peter 4, 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. When we learn of a need, how do we respond? Oh, no. Not again. I had plans for Saturday. I was going to watch the ball game, or I was going to go fishing, or I was going to whatever, go shopping. Now I have to help somebody move again. Can't somebody else help out for a change? Do we act like somebody's putting a gun to our head, or that we're having to pay some sort of tax that we really don't want to do, or that we'll do it, but we'd really rather be in anywhere else instead of doing what the Lord has commanded us to do? Or do we see it as an opportunity to serve our church family and glorify God? Do we act as though it's an obligation, or do we act as though it's a privilege to imitate our master? We know the attitude our Lord expects us to demonstrate. We can pray the Holy Spirit will change our hearts from resentful and selfish to cheerful and eager to help because we love God and we love our brethren. Now, I'm not saying these things because this is, my, this is the way I act in my daily life. It's the way I wish I would act. It's the way I'm supposed to act. It's the, it's the heart condition I'm supposed to have. Maybe that's why Neil assigned this to me because it's convicting to me and, uh, to, to study these attitudes we should have and to think, yeah, this is what God really wants us to have. I mean, what did Jesus, did he complain? <clears throat> did he, did he uh, obey and say, well, I don't want, uh, I mean, I'm not going to do this, and I really am uh, just, uh, you know, I hate doing this. But no, he loved his people. He gave his, lives, his life for us. As Patrick mentioned, we should love generously, not just giving a meager portion. We, uh, we don't want to give our hand-me-downs to, to be... We, if we're wanting to treat people the way we want to be treated and the way that we... Uh, to, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, we, we're not going to just give the second best. Christ gave His best. He gave everything for us. How can we do less for our brothers? We're commanded to give, and, uh, give with our hands wide open. God's blessed us with all sorts of resources, our time, our strength, our finances, possessions. In Luke 3.11, Jesus said, Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none, and let him who has food do likewise. So we're to, to sacrificially give, but do it cheerfully. Don't do it grudgingly. Do it as if we're thankful to God that he's given us those resources in order to share with our brothers and sisters. God also expects an attitude of humility when we help others, just as Christ obeyed and humbled himself to serve his people. Charles Spurgeon said, When we have faith in God and perform all our works with the best of motives, 
Even then we have not so much as a solitary good work until the blood of Christ is sprinkled thereon. And he quoted Augustine, and you, I know you've heard this, this quote. Good works, as they are called in sinners, are nothing more than splendid sins. Spurgeon then noted, good works spring with, from union with Christ. We don't have any reason to feel proud or arrogant because we've helped someone. Only reason we can, we're able to help someone or even have the desire to help someone is because God instilled that in us or he's blessed us with those abilities and those resources. We only serve God because he has allowed us to do so and he deserves all the glory. So that's easy to do, isn't it? Right? Serving with humility and cheerfulness in all circumstances. Spurgeon didn't think so. He described the labors of love. And he didn't mean that, it's, you know, it's, when he said labors, he meant labors. He noted that in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, think about what it says. It speaks of bearing all things. Not just doing things, but bearing them. Believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. Now those are things that require some effort, don't they? That requires an attitude, that requires some work. Sometimes the people, even our brethren, sometimes uh, just as we are, we can be unloving and sometimes it's, uh, we're not the easiest people to help. Sometimes people may not even respond, they may not even want your help. That's another topic of how to receive help and, and the spirit in which it's given. But uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, some, it's not something that comes naturally to all of us. It's something that we pray for that, uh, that redemptive spirit that we would want to help others cheerfully and not grudgingly. Sanctification can be a long, painful process, but we must be obedient even when our feelings get in the way. I still remember Larry Ball talking Never forget this when he talked about, don't go by your feelings. You know, you, you don't, your feelings will mislead you. You do what the Lord has commanded regardless of your feelings, and the feelings will follow. And you know, he's right. I found, I discovered that he, he knew what he was talking about. And if you, you just obey God's commands, regardless of how you feel at the time, I mean, he confessed that there were times when he was leaving the Mass, he said, I just didn't feel like coming down preaching that day. <laughs> and, but he did anyway. And once he got up here and started preaching, it all just went away. And so we are tempted sometimes to, to be lazy or to be, we're going to look at some of the hindrances in just a moment, but we don't go by those feelings of, uh, that are keeping us from doing what we know we should. If you don't feel like doing something, do it anyway. Cook a meal. Visit the sick. Hold on to your microphone. <laughs> Break out the chainsaw and the rakes. Show up on moving day. We kind of heard some convicting words from Carl uh, yesterday about that. I felt kind of like I'd been lashed a little bit, and I needed every, every word of it. It's amazing how quickly the initial reluctance is forgotten once the loving action and fellowship begins. And we'll see that in a moment about the blessings of the, that we get from that service. 
Isaiah 1.17 instructs us to, now listen carefully, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Now he didn't just say do good. Learn to do good. It's not something that always comes naturally or just automatically. Now even when we have been converted and justified and adopted and we know we're saved, that doesn't mean that automatically we become super Christian and we always are doing things that we, we live this sinless, perfect life. We're still fighting that sin nature, aren't we? And we, even when we know what we should do, sometimes we just have to, to struggle and we have to learn how to control that, how to overcome that. Even if it's just simply doing, just being obedient, doing what we know we should do, and then let the feelings, uh, let them take care of themselves, and they will. What are some hindrances to serving others? Well, most of them are self-imposed. We find ways to excuse a lack of service at times. And here are some of the most familiar. I'm speaking from much personal experience. So here, here it goes. See if you recognize any of these in other people, obviously. <laughs> Number one, I'm too busy with, you can fill in the blank, job, family, church activities, duties, other good works, etc., etc. Now, it's true that we are charged to be stewards of all that God's given us, including our time. But we, we must ask ourselves, are we really too busy to help a brother in need? Are we just finding excuses to do what we'd prefer to do? We can't say yes to everything. We know that. And, and we, you may have experienced, maybe personally you've experienced just being overburdened with people making demands upon you and, and wanting to respond to everything. I've never had that experience, but I have seen those who have who've actually come close to breaking down. And they had to step back. They couldn't do it all. But we're not called to do everything. But we're called to do something. If we're saying no more often than we're saying yes, if we find ourselves saying no, no, eventually people will quit asking. Or the, you know, God will, well, that's another topic. I don't want to stray from what, what, what I've got down here before I get myself into trouble. So we, uh, Ephesians 5, 16 tells us to make the most of, or as some, some uh, translations say, redeem our time because the days are evil. Let's, as we mentioned earlier, use the strength of our youth to serve others because we may not always have that ability. So saying you're not too busy, I'm not too busy, well, I think uh, we, if we did a, a log of what we do, kept a daily activity log, we would probably be able to find quite a few things there that could be knocked out and uh, that are not necessary things and they're just luxury things, they're things we personally want to do. And meanwhile, we may be neglecting our brethren who really have need of us. 
Number two, and we heard a lot about this from the last session, I don't have any special abilities to share. Well, that's not according to God's Word. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We each have God-given talents. You may be handy with tools, or you may have the gift of hospitality. And in preparing this, I, I saw a really interesting uh, thing on Monergism uh, site. There's a little article say, saying uh, something like, why have we made hospitality so hard? And it was talking about how, you know, we, we've tried to make this where if we have someone over for a meal, we think the house has to be perfect. We think we have to have a formal meal. And they suggested make some tacos, go get a pizza. Uh, don't worry about the house being, I mean, you may make them feel a lot better about their own house if you <laughs> invite them over. <laughs> Maybe that's your gift of encouragement there coming up. <clears throat> you may be able to create artwork. You may be able to sew or garden or teach Sunday school. We have those dedicated, I, I want to say this as the Sunday school superintendent, that means I order the materials, basically. Uh, we, looking back down through the years, oftentimes Sunday school teaching was um, sort of like the Supreme Court. It was a lifetime appointment. Once you got in, <laughs> you couldn't get out. <laughs> and it was sort of sad, really. And, uh, and sometimes twisting arms or calling and trying, cajoling and trying to convince people to give it a try. No wonder they were suspicious. You know? <laughs> They'd say, yeah, I've seen them. They've been doing it for 10 years and they want to give it up. We don't have that problem right now. It seems that God is filling that need. Every time we, we've had some changes and then we have people stepping up to either be substitute teachers, to assist, to take over a class. Uh, we have some actually right now on a waiting list of, I mean, they're, they're designated as when you need someone, call me. And that's a real blessing. I mean, to me, that's a, we've, we've had a, this has been a godly church. And that's a whole nother story about all the, I could tell you about the altar calls we had and the revivals and, you know, everything else that made us just like every other church around here. But very, very godly people. But as we heard, I guess Henry was talking, uh, you know, there's a, the Marines. You have the, the core group that does so much. They're always there to be counted on. And then a lot who really aren't, they're not using their gifts. They're not using their gifts. Well, in this church, we have a... You know, we, we have so many opportunities that people are helping with. It's great to see the kids involved on work days and helping out, cleaning up after meals. And I know with the women's ministry, our young ladies helped to, they were serving the, our, uh, our women of the church. And, you know, those are great opportunities to teach our, our young people what it is to serve. I mean, we're modeling that behavior. We're teaching them you know, I can recall growing up and, you know, it was just something that 
it's our week to mow the church. So my brother and I, my dad would load us up and we'd come out and go at it with push mowers and, uh, and it was just what you did. And so once you instill that sort of behavior, it, it's not a, a big shock then to try to suddenly flip that switch and say, hey, you know, there are things we could be doing. Uh, maybe you could help out some because they're used to that. Some other th ways we can help. Maybe you can sit with someone who's ill. You know, it's tiring work in a hospital with a long hospital stay to sit hour after hour. And uh, sometimes people, the family just needs a break. And maybe you can just go spell them for an hour or two or an afternoon. Um, words of encouragement. Now, I know we're talking about practical ways, but as Neil pointed out, it, this is all practical. Sometimes that's what people need most of all. They just need someone to listen to them. They feel disconnected or they're lonely or they've lost someone close to them. And they just need that call, that phone call, that visit, that card, anything to, to lift their spirits and to, to make them feel part of the body again. Uh, you may be good with finances giving financial advice to someone. We have some, uh, we have had in the past people who kind of struggle a little bit with budgets, just kind of making things work. And we had people who were very good at that, could sit down and show them just how to, to go about that. Uh, that may be your gift. You might be good at planning fellowship activities. We've had people step up to do that. You may be, and this involves the kids too, you know, helping with small children uh, to, to look after them. You may be savvy with technology or car repairs or you name it. You might have the gift of conversation. Maybe a good thing or maybe not. <laughs> or simply inquiring about people. We, we had a dear Christian lady in this church. If we missed a Sunday, we expected to get a phone call from her. Yeah, I see, you know who I'm talking about, don't you, Chris? And she didn't stay on the phone long. She just wanted to know, are we okay? Are you sick? How are you doing? Well, we missed you today at church. Just wanted to, to check in with you, and that was it. And that meant so much. See, I remember that years after she's gone on to be in heaven. I mean, that made a big impression upon me. And yet it was such a simple act. It didn't require a lot of effort. It just required the will to do that and the obedience to, to show that love. And there's no doubt she loved her brethren. We, we uh, you know, kids, you can help with your, your siblings too, your younger brothers and sisters. And I know some of you do. I know some of you are a great help to your parents in doing that, but that's, that's something, a way that you can really help the brethren even within your own family. You can tutor other kids. You can help with yard work or housework. We used to organize, sometimes we would go out, uh, take the kids out to rake leaves, and it had a blast. The, rake, the leaves didn't always stay in the pile, you know, very long, but they could be raked up again, and and it was just a way of giving back and serving and showing love. And it may have seemed a small thing, but I guarantee you the folks who received 
that, that gift of love from us, they, it made, meant a lot to them. Uh, keep in mind, we heard about the members of the body and how, you know, we need all the, you know, the ear is not a hand and the hand is not a foot. Well, there's another aspect to that. If you're a hand, be a hand. If you're a foot, be a foot. You know, do what you're good at doing. You can branch out. You can, you know, try some other things too. There's time enough to do that. But find those gifts and use them and stay in your lane there. I mean, that's what the body needs. They need you to do what you're good at doing because all of us have a gift, but none of us have all the gifts. So we rely upon each other. And if the focus of this talk is within the church, you know, to, especially to those of the household of faith. I mean, we know we are to minister uh, we should have Christian outreach. We minister to the world. Of course we do that. We're commanded to do that. But we're, for the purpose of this, this uh, particular session and, and this conference, we're talking basically about ministering to our brethren in the church. Number three, I don't know of anything needed. Now that's an easy one. We can solve that right now. See your deacons. They'll give you something to do. See the women's ministry. I, they'll have things for you that uh, they'll find a way that you, if you feel like you can't be used, I guarantee you there are many, many, many ways you can be used. Open up the prayer chain emails. Take note of absent congregation members and inquire about them. Look for opportunities. Be proactive without being nosy. You can do both. You can look for those opportunities. Don't wait for them to come to you. Let's say something about it. See, I'm, I'm really, this is convicting me a lot. And then I added, I wrote in a number four because I, I left it for it's procrastination. <laughs> so I don't have anything written down except procrastination. It's a, well, we sometimes will say, or I do this all the time. This is one of my worst traits. Good intentions, and yet a week passes, another week passes, another month passes. I meant to do that. I wanted to do that. And yet, for some reason, I didn't do it. So there's no profit in it. That's the same as telling your brother, Go be filled, you know, be warm and be filled and not doing anything about it. So if we mean to do something, and by the way, if we make a commitment, and this is another gem I learned from, uh, from a sermon and never forgot it, must, it really convicted me. If you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, do it. Don't tell them you're going to pray for them if you really don't mean it and not going to do it. Keep your commitments. And sometimes it, you know, it's easy for it. It just comes off the tongue. Well, I'll pray for you. Or sometimes people will even ask you. They'll say, will you pray for me? And we say, of course we do. Yes. But we really need to follow through on that and, uh, and make sure that we do those things. So don't put off those good works and those deeds that we know we could be doing and should be doing 
and say, well, I'll get to that later because later may never come. And we'll look back and say, well, I've been meaning to make a list. That helps me anyway. That's, that's what works for me. When I do list, I tend to, I'm better about following through than if I just put it in the back of my mind. And uh, so find what works for you to help you follow through. It may be after, you know, get up in the morning and if you have uh, your devotions and after your prayers or Bible reading, you might find a time in the day when you can do something for someone. It might be sending a card. It might be praying for them. It might be the phone call. It might be making some arrangement to, or at least making the uh, offer to help them with something that you know they need. Remember that your service is to the Lord. Do it cheerfully, willingly, and not out of obligation. Easier said than done, but it can be done. Now, how do we exhort each other to serve the brethren? Hebrews 10, 24, and we've heard this several times in the course of the conference. And let us consider how to stimulate one another or provoke one another to love and good deeds. And, and something I hadn't considered, and of course we heard it earlier this, this evening, I think, <clears throat> but I was reading from a pastor who said one of the best ways to stimulate loving deeds in others is not to neglect the fellowship of the saints. Attend services. And, you know, if you're looking for the connection there, well, it's, you're, you're being obedient. You're, uh, people are seeing that. They're seeing your attendance. They're, uh, it's encouraging them. They're not saying, oh, well, you know, they're skipping. They only come every once in a while. It's okay for me to skip services. And, uh, be faithful in your church attendance. Be present at group service opportunities. You, you may have, and legitimately, you can't always be everywhere at everything that's going on. But you ought to find yourself at some of these work days, moving days, assembling a playground day, <laughs> whatever it happens to be. Uh, you, you really can find the time and, and offer your services. You know, say, step up. Don't wait for someone to ask you, but say, what can I do? You know, can I help with that? Can I help with the talent show or whatever the... You know, can I serve on a committee? Don't wait till somebody, somebody has to drag you into the, the meeting. And, and uh, it's there, you'll find the fellowship is really, really, really good. One of the best ways that you can encourage uh, your brethren is offering your services when you see or learn of a need. Don't wait to be asked. Your quiet example may inspire others to do likewise. Don't rule out asking others directly to become involved. Now, a dear Christian brother who's, who's moved, he's out of state now, used to get a call on a fairly regular basis, and in a very quiet voice he would say, are you doing anything this afternoon? <laughs> and I knew immediately what that meant. And I couldn't lie and say, you know, I'm watching TV or something like that. 
uh, say, uh, what's up? You know, well, somebody canceled out. You know, we're serving at this various, you know, back then we were serving at the Salvation Army and we started out with this you know, huge contingent and you couldn't squeeze everybody in the kitchen. Then it got down to about three or four faithful people, I guess. And so uh, it might be somebody moving and it, it would be on sh very short notice sometimes. But he had a way of doing it. You just couldn't turn him down. I mean, it was just so, he was so sweet in the way he asked. Uh, there are ways you can do it without feeling like you're being, and the thing is, no matter how much I may have griped, you know, and you know, got to drive up to so somewhere and purchase a battery for somebody and do all this. Well, once we got into it, then the fun started. You know, you forgot about what you were doing at home or what you'd rather be doing. If you're sort of an introvert like I am, you hate going to gatherings and functions but once you get there you have a good time it's just getting you there is the that's the the chore so sometimes you do have to reach out and at least invite people in a nice way say would you like to you know we would you like to be part of the x committee you know whatever the committee is or would you like to help with the talent show this year or or the christmas program or something like this sometimes people are just waiting to be asked Sometimes they need that nudging. I need it all the time. So don't rule that out. And the sacrifice of time is very small and it's always was far overshadowed by the blessings received, just as God has promised. So we'll, coming to the end conclusion, let's talk about some of the blessings of service. Blessings for us, blessings for others, blessings for the church. How are we blessed through service? other than the actual result of the labor, the, you know, the yard gets mowed or whatever. That's, that's sort of a byproduct. We get a stronger bond between individuals and the entire body of Christ. I mean, we feel more connected. We're not just saying we're brothers and sisters, we're acting like it, like we would with our own family. We have encouragement for the brethren and a tangible reassurance of God's care. They can look out and see the yard got mowed, the yard got raked, the car runs now, you know, that sort of thing. We, we have uh, the bill got paid. Fellowship opportunities for all involved, the recipients and the participants. Nothing helps, this my, just something I think, Nothing helps establish friendships faster than working together alongside someone. I mean, that's how you really get to know people. You can do all kinds of activities. You can go on a hike or go putt-putt or whatever you want to do, but you don't really get to know people like you do when you sit there and sweat beside them and you're laboring with them. I'll tell you this about this church. We still have the same old window wells out there, the same ones my older brother and his friends used to stick me in, and I guess that's still a tradition carried on to this day. Well, one of the problems with the old window wells back in those days, and that, well, not way, 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 way back, but in the days of Larry Ball, which is far enough back, but don't tell him I said that. Every time we had a really hard rain, uh, I mean, a, a gully washer. 
the rain would, the water would come in through the window wells and the fellowship hall, which was much smaller than it is now, would flood. And it seemed to always happen on Saturday evenings. And so it'd be 11 o'clock at night and there would be Larry and Brenda Ball. So you had the pastor and his wife and anybody who lived within a five mile radius with mops and shop vacs and Larry had to get up and preach the next morning, remember? And we were up, sometimes a couple of hours, you know, cleaning things up. And it's the best time in the world. I mean, we, I look back on that, and I mean, I know all those who were here with, they feel the same way. Uh, you could look at it like, oh, got to get up and go out there and do this again. And yet, after a while, it just became... You know, we tried to get it fixed, but then it happened again. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, well, let's grab the mops and get out there. And you just did it. But you really get to know people. I mean, when you're working alongside them, generally there's not a lot of other things you can do except talk, you know. And, and so you learn about people. It's like having fellowship meals. And when you actually, the hospitality, not the the short time we spend downstairs, but when you have people over to your house and you really get to know you have common interest, or maybe there's something really unique about them that you never knew, never guessed. And working together is one of the best ways to establish that bond that I, that I know of. I mean, that's just, I hope you've found that same experience and found it very edifying. And um, just ask the people who work in the nursery you know, or on communion luncheon days, or work days, or committees, or any type of task in the church, uh, the people, the greeters, you know, we have people who step up. This is not just jobs for the officers and the deacons and the committee chairman and all this sort of thing. This is something that we all share, and, and I really feel so blessed to be in a church where people are not reluctant to step up and we have a, a great percentage I think more than maybe you might find in a lot of places of people willing to do and use their gifts and talents last two things the Bible repeatedly tells us God will not forget our deeds of mercy and we could go on for another half hour just looking at the promises that God has said he would bless us just one quick one, Proverbs 11:25. The generous man will be prosperous. He who waters will himself be watered. And lastly, as we saw in the confession, <coughs> excuse me, it's a visible, powerful testimony of the love Christ's people have for each other and for their God and Savior. The world takes note of how the church cares for its own in addition to its outreach. We, we've heard... Uh, reports from hospital workers who've commented about people who've come to visit the sick or bring things to them and just thinking, wow, you know, they have a really large family, don't they? And people say, no, that's, that's our church members, that people in our church. And it's just, they're puzzled by that. You mean they'd take the time out and they're not even related to you? Well, we're related through Christ's blood. Yes, we're, we're uh, blood brothers and sisters in that regard. Thomas Watson wrote that love sets a crown of honor upon true religion. And uh, I don't have this in my notes, but if I've got just a moment for an anecdote, 
because uh, I know Patrick loves anecdotes. I love anecdotes. Who doesn't love a good anecdote? And I wasn't going to say, mention this because it sort of involves outreach, doing deeds of mercy to people outside the church, but in a way it also involves inside the church too. And I just stumbled across this, and I don't know if, if anyone else has heard the story of Ed Martin. Well, Ed Martin was a convict. He was on a chain gang. And for those of you who don't know what a chain gang is, that's when they would take people out to work on the road, like a road gang, and they would be chained to another prisoner, or in some cases, maybe a whole line of prisoners, so they couldn't escape. Because, you know, I mean, if they tried to escape, they would be, it'd be pretty easy to catch them, they'd being tied together that way by chains. He was considered to be incorrigible. Uh, once when he escaped, they put a reward out for him. You know how much he was worth? $10, dead or alive. That's how much they considered his life to be worth. He had no use for the gospel or church or anything like that. Well, he had a sister who was in a, uh, she was in a school studying uh, to be a missionary, and she had a roommate, and she asked her roommate if she would pray for her brother Ed. But the roommate did more than just pray. She started sending letters to Ed, and she, uh, she sent Bible tracts, she sent uh, Bible courses and study, and of course oftentimes and I've learned this just doing a little research that, you know, prisoners just, any letter, even junk mail, they love to get. Just anything to acknowledge they're alive because oftentimes their families just, they get divorced, people don't come visit them, they're just forgotten. And uh, so they'll read, they'll read the Bible, they'll take Bible courses, they'll go sometimes just out of boredom, sometimes they're genuinely interested. Well, Ed started doing that and sending back, back and forth, and her name was Alfreda, and she went, eventually, she went to visit Ed, and she asked him if he was saved, and uh, had he been, did he really believe, and he said, well, the reason I haven't said anything is because I'm not sure. He said, I really didn't, he dropped his head, and so she witnessed to him, and shortly thereafter, he gave his life to Christ. Now, the prison staff took note of that, and they said he, had turned, he turned into such a model prisoner that eventually they recommended him for parole, and he got out, and he and Alfredo got married, and he became a pastor. And he pastored several churches in Pennsylvania, and then he started a prison ministry. I think it's called Hope Aglow, and it's still operating today. And they ministered to prisoners in Pennsylvania, in Kentucky, in Tennessee, Virginia, Georgia, Alabama. Fairly widespread ministry. And he also served on the board of a, a Christian university, rather well-known one. I won't mention it because it's Baptist, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> Forgive me for that. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Love for the brethren. <laughs> and the day he died is either the day before. He died of a massive heart attack. 
uh, either the day before or the same day, he had seen three prisoners uh, converted and give their lives to Christ. All because God used, chose to use this one faithful Christian woman to reach out to, to a forgotten person. So that's reaching out to the world, but you know she was helping her brethren, her, her, her roommate, who was a sister in Christ. She was responding to that. She didn't just say, oh yeah, I'll pray for him and leave it at that. She went beyond and look at the results. So that shows what we can do. We may think that our little contribution doesn't matter for much, but we don't know what God has in store. And so we, we do, we're faithful, we obey those commands, and then God does the rest. We, we throw some seeds out and God waters and he, he brings forth the harvest. So with that, if we will close with a word of prayer and then over to Neil. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for giving us the opportunities, giving us the, the abilities that um, we can use to serve others in the church and outside. But we know that you especially want us to show our love for the brethren. And in that way, we make sure our calling, we show our love for Christ, we encourage and exhort each other and we build up the kingdom. And Lord, help us to do that. Chastise us when we need it. Encourage us and lift us up. Help us to be good examples. Help us to follow the examples that we see around us. And Lord, we just ask that you would uh, continue to bless each one here, bless this church and the other churches represented. And uh, 